a few little. Okay. listeners in internet land, wherever you might be. Welcome to Recovery Internet Radio, broadcast direct here from Straight Up Studios, um, which, you know, does it really matter where we are? You can listen anywhere in the whole wide world. So thanks for tuning in tonight. I'm going to give you over to our host, uh, uh, Mr. Rick Atwater. Thank you, Chris. Absolutely. I don't, I really don't think it does matter where, where you are. Really? No. I think the internet goes, goes everywhere. I think. We always we, we say every when we say every week um, that we'd really like to hear from the listeners, and they can go to our website and tell us where you're from because we'd really like to know. What's the name of that website? That website is recoveryinternetradio.com. Check yes, us out. Sir. Drop us an email if you ever have any questions, comments, ideas for a show. Let us just know what your thoughts are, where you're from. That'd be great. We're going to say that a couple more times yet tonight, but but yes. So anyway, um, welcome um, tonight and. Uh, to uh, Recovery Internet Radio and uh, Straight Stuff on Addictions, and our tag. We have a we have we have a guest who's going to tell us who our tag is tonight. Uh, and uh, I, well, you, your guests will we'll leave we'll leave you to guess who that who that special guest is. But anyway, uh, our tag tonight is. Good evening, everybody. I'm here in Straight Up Studios, Recovery Internet Radio. Tonight we have a very special guest. Her name is Kathleen. She's going to rock your world. And tonight's show is Family Recovery with the Mominator. So you all better listen or I'll be back. <laughs> Thanks, Arnold. Oh, I let that slip. Sorry. Don't worry, Rick. Yeah. Don't worry, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thanks for joining us. It's kind of a slippery Sunday night where we are every Sunday night at 8 o'clock. Thanks to our engineer, Chris. Slippery Sunday night. Slippery, like uh, slippery mm-hmm. Sunday night, and our guest, Christine. Um, and we, you can call the uh, show for questions or comments or opinions. Yeah. Um, by calling three two three seven nine two two nine seven seven. You can call live. We'll put you on the air if you have questions. Yeah. Give us a give us a call. So give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. You or you can tweet us. At Rick Atwater. At Rick Atwater. Again, live during the show. I mean, you can tweet us. We're interactive here. And uh, and again, our website recoveryinternetradio.com. And you can also get to all of our archive shows at that location. And there are at this point about thirty nine shows. We'll be pushing yeah, next week. You know, just in time for the Super Bowl, will be number be the big four zero, as they say. Okay, so maybe maybe that maybe we'll have cupcakes. Mm. We celebrate <laughs> our, our milestones with dessert, which yeah. I think is a good way to go. Um, yeah, so uh, a couple of, I just want to mention quick before we get started, a couple of friends of ours. Um, we have uh, a, a band, uh, Double Take is the name of the band, and the uh, website is doubletakechicago.com. They've got a gig coming up. They're a fun group, and uh, so check out. Uh, DoubleTakeChicago.com. Double take. They always got a gig coming up, don't they? I think their their yeah. uh, next show is uh, oh February second, Saturday at nine o'clock at Doc's Bar and Grill in uh, Wakanda, Illinois. Come okay. on down. All right, come on down. 
Um, and then uh, we also have uh, a friend um, at uh, heartwalking.com, Heartwalking Productions, Russ Mobley. Um, you can reach Russ at heartwalking.com, and he's a speaker and an author and a musician and a lot of fun. And Russ, by the way, I think left today for Turkey. He, this is his second trip, and he... Adventure. Uh, yeah, it's an adventure. He goes over, he takes a group from here, <clears throat> and uh, there's a group of Turkish kids on the other end that... Uh, uh, are are uh, in a school in an English speaking school, and he does uh, work with them um, around personal growth and learning to speak English, and it's really a cool experience. So anyway, that's Russell. That's our friend Rusty. Um, so I think that's all for now. Maybe we'll have a little further stuff at halftime, but I kind of want to get to what what we're here to talk about. So thanks for coming out tonight. To be here. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I was, I was, it was a little dicey. <laughs> a little dicey. Um, so we've talked a little bit, and 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 so maybe we could start with um, giving us a little bit of a framework of of where kind of where you where you came from, how you, what led you to the starting the process of all this recovery stuff. What was the you said, I think you said there's like four main things. Yeah. 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 That's probably the easiest way to boil it down. Cause sure. Be a show in all of <laughs> yeah. One, each one, right, maybe. Right. So, yeah. So let's do it. Yeah. So, um, so I grew up not far from here. Um, and I was the fifth of six kids. So a pretty big family. And I was the only girl. The only girl. Yeah. Um, and for and the, still can wrestle. And still can wrestle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got to hold your own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Had to hold your own or you got left behind. Um, but, uh, you know, I, the first 10 years or so of my life was pretty normal. Was, I mean, not, no big ups, but no big downs, you know, kind of thing. So I think the first kind of, like, pivotal event was, I was probably about 11 when my parents had their first kind of drunken fight. Hmm. And, um, I mean, that's, I think, devastating for any kid to experience. But what was really um, mind-blowing for me is it seemed like it came out of nowhere. Hmm. So, like, up to that point, I didn't really even have a framework for alcohol. We didn't have alcohol right. in our home. They didn't drink in, in our home. So so that was sort of like the first thing was just this, okay, uh, shattered out of, you know, innocence kind of in, in, in that way. Right. Out of, out of nowhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is at, at age 11. Yeah. A lot I, of us probably I, wouldn't have had a, much of a framework. You know, yeah. That in, right? Yeah, and and like I said, we didn't have alcohol in our home or anything, so it's not like I saw a build up to this. It was mm-hmm. just sort of like I woke up one day and what what we just decided to. You know, How did you even know it was <laughs> alcohol fueled at that time? I mean, was there because of the, because of the language of the fight? Oh, so it, the language of the fight had to do with drinking. Oh, okay, right? Mm-hmm. all right. Um, and I remember my brothers; they were obviously disappointed, or you know, I mean, just freaked out about the event itself. But they didn't seem to be. For me, it seemed like it came out of the blue, and it, and it, they didn't seem shocked by it, which is also sort of a weird thing to me. Like, why am I shocked by this, and nobody else seems to be shocked by this? I mean, you grow up in a big family, though. Sometimes you're actually growing up in two or three families, and so I learned later um, that it wasn't a shock to my brothers because when my mom and dad were earlier in their marriage, they had a lot of violent fights, 
And then there was sort of this hiatus period. Oh. And I sort of came up in the hiatus period. I get you. So for them, it it was like, oh, here we go again. But as far as you knew, that that wasn't a thing. Right. But we never talked about this until we were, you know, adults. But I just remember having this sense of, like, did I just, did I just, you know, (laughs) enter the twilight zone? (laughs) So so that was kind of like the first thing. And then, you know. Uh, the hiatus period was obviously over, so it's just the chaos of, of living in an alcoholic home. Um, and then when I was 16, um, my 19-year-old brother was killed in a kind of a freak accident, which is a story mm. in and of itself. But mm. um, So that was shattering for me, but also, you know, my, my parents were very fragile mm. folks trying to hold it together, and mm-hmm. that was just... That changes that changes everything. everything. Yeah. So... so They've been trying to sort of hold it together, and this was everything just crumbled for them. And you know, I mean, I I don't I just want to this is like totally out of order, but I mm-hmm. just want to just something just lit up for me, which was then when when we fast forward and you we start talking about your kids. Yep. I never see I never knew that, yep. so I can't imagine what it would be like to have to face the possibility yep. of losing your kid when you've been in a family where. Where that's actually happened. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. As a friend yeah. of mine once said, you know, if it were me, I'd be facing the fear of the unknown, but you're facing the fear of the known. Yeah. You're yeah. Absolutely right. Yeah. 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 So, so I mean, not only is that this horrible thing for me and you know, mm. grief and everything, but there was like no room for my grief because they were, my parents just completely, you know, they just completely crumbled, and so everything they'd been sort of trying to hold together and manage. Mm. Just fell apart, and and all restraint fell apart, and so the the, the violence and the drunken it just they just became self so, so, uh, absorbed in their own grief, yeah. and you just sort of were uh, yeah. off and, to the side. And or, so yeah, and so the you know the kind of the violence episodes happened a lot more frequently, and right. I was the oldest at home at that time, so there's just me and my younger brother, and 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 one of these you know episodes where we're cowering in the corner trying to figure out what to do. My younger brother comes in the room and he's, you know, like he's freaking out. He's going, you know, make him stop, make him stop, make him stop. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill somebody, make him stop. And so here I am, like, he's freaking out. They're, they're, you know, they're freaking out. I'm scared for my own. And and I felt like I had to do something, but I didn't know what the something was. And so I went downstairs and I and I stood in the kitchen and I must have said something, you know, like stop or whatever. And this kind of amazing thing happened and that my dad kind of backed off and in that moment I saw him you know ashamed and embarrassed that I mm. had caught him doing something that he didn't want to be caught at but the other thing that happened is in that moment I realized I had power mm. I mean I wasn't looking for power but I realized I had it so mm. so that sort of started this little dynamic that we set up that um, the way to manage chaos in the house was if I was there Every Friday and Saturday night when they came home. I think that maybe I picked that up in getting in talking to you before or something. Mm-hmm. That, but I think maybe that's where the whole mominator thing came <laughs> from. <laughs> you know, Could that's be. where that whole the origin, right? Yeah, there. the whole yeah. the super the, the big yeah. ass on the chest, the whole thing. I don't know. It you could know. Be. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I um. So so we set up this little system where I was home every Friday and Saturday night, my whole junior and senior year in high school. I never went out. I didn't go to basketball games, or if I did, I you, made sure I was home before Friday night at the fights. You were there. To, you were there to manage yeah. the fights. And as long as I was in the kitchen, as long as I w- my presence was known, it was all good. Hmm. 
And for a while that was okay because it was like I was just trying to manage my own. I wanted peace in my house. So it's like whatever I need to do, path of least resistance. If, I, if that's what I need to do to get peace in my house, I'm, I'm good. But pretty soon, I mean, I just felt the weight of that. Yeah. I felt trapped. Like yeah. I knew I had to be home. And, um, and all I wanted to do was get out and, and escape. But like go where? Hmm. So I just had this sight set like when I get to college, things will be different. I can't wait to graduate and go to college, and then I can start over. Some people would feel that, and they would also feel guilty about leaving. I didn't really feel guilty about leaving. Yeah. I think I felt irritated at both of them for, right. you know, like, this is what you're doing. And if I if I had any sense of guilt about it, it was so hidden down that mo- mostly what it was was just this sense of, of weight and feeling trapped that we had set this thing yeah. up, and I didn't know how to get out of it. Yeah. And so I just sort of kept saying, well, if I when I get to college, then then it will be different. When I get yeah. to college, I can start over. I can, you know, recreate my life. I can be normal as if I would know what that what that was or how to do it. But right. but good, that was good at least good not plan. rescue yeah. my parents every weekend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But and I got to college, and the third kind of event happened when I, I'd, I'd been there just a couple of weeks, literally, and I got a phone call from home. That uh, my mom was in the hospital. Hmm. And she, some friend of mine called and said, "I heard your mom's in the hospital. She was in a car accident." You know, my mom wasn't in a car accident. What had happened was we'd set this nice little system up where nobody had to be responsible for themselves, and then I backed out of the system and literally all hell broke loose. And mm-hmm. and something inside me died in that moment. A little mm. bit of me died. I just sort of because I because what I said to myself was, "I'm never going to get away from this." Yeah. Like no matter how far I go, this is. This is it, and like somehow you were in, in some weird way responsible for that. Part of it was re- it, it, definitely I knew I was responsible, you know, yeah. in that for that. Um, but also this, like, like hope died in a way of yeah. like I can't, like this is it. There's no, no way I can recreate my life or myself. Right. I'm. I'm, I'm You're not going to be free of that. Yeah. So no matter gonna... how far away I move. Right. So. You know, that really started my own drinking career. I mean, I'd mm. had a few instances before that, but, but when, you know, when my mom and dad started getting violent, I mentally had said, I want nothing to do with this. Mm-hmm. The risk is too high. I don't want to do this um, up until that point. And then I, I just I just wanted to numb it out. You know, right. I just wanted to try to figure out how to, how to do life, how to fit in with other kids, how to... Mm-hmm. Um, and so I... You know, my drinking career really took off then. Yeah, you were and still I, in college then? I was freshman year in college. Yeah. 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 And I probably had one more chance to kind of jump off the train towards the end of my freshman year. Because I made all the mistakes that are predictable for somebody who has no social skills and no background <laughs> and a bunch of alcohol, right? So messed up a lot during my freshman year in, in those ways. And I had... Um, I reconnected with a guy that I knew in high school. We didn't know one another well, but we, you know, both our lives were sort of a mess, and we were sort of admitting that to each other and saying, well, then maybe we don't want to have our lives be a mess. And, mm-hmm. um, and so we were kind of walking down this path of trying to figure out how to maybe write the course. And uh, So you got married? No. No, actually, um, actually he committed suicide. Oh. Yeah. And so that was like the final... That was it? Yeah, and... You know, up to that point, I mean, I had grown up in a faith system, but one I didn't really understand. Mm. But I sort of had this view that, like, if you do the right thing, it matters. 
Yeah. You know, it's better to do the right thing than not. And and there's a payoff for doing the right thing. And so I felt like I'd been doing the right thing for two decades. Right. And there was no payoff at the end of this. And so was his was his situation similar to yours with alcohol or was it not? It wasn't no, it wasn't alcohol, but it was different. Yeah, it was other addictive behaviors, but And how did that how how what happened to you when when he committed suicide? I mean, what what did that what did that do to you? You know, one I was pissed at him because I thought you gave up, you know, like so so I was really angry about that, but what it really did was um like the the little piece of me that died earlier that year, the rest of me died. I sort of felt like, and I yeah. had I remember making this declaration of saying, you know, there's there's you know, either there ain't no God out there, or if there is, he doesn't give a damn about me. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, he's not all that powerful. So what difference would it make if there was one? And I right. kind of made this declaration that I was gonna just take my life back. I thought, you know, God was kind of a C player and. Mm-hmm. You know, so I couldn't do any worse than he than he did. It was pretty much, what, and I said those words out loud. You know, so right. that was like the moment I sort of took my life back and said, you know, as the kids say now, and I make fun of them, but you know, like I'm gonna do me. That's yeah. Kinda, <laughs> yeah. That's kind of yeah. what. That's kind of where it was at. Right. You know, I'm gonna do me because I don't know right. what else to do. And uh, so that yeah. began like my own ten year downward spiral of addiction yeah. and all kinds of bizarre behaviors. Because yeah. I just felt like there was no hope. there was no hope like there was nothing. To, yeah, if it's, surviving. it's yeah, it's pretty empty when it it's was. when it it's was. just when it's just you. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it doesn't seem like it in the moment, but it then yeah yeah I was when, when you scared and alone and yeah and like you said you know a little short on social skills and not real clear about normal and yep yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the reason I the reason I said and then you and then you married him. <laughs> no, but I did that later on. Yeah, Not okay. that one, but later on. Oh, you on. got you got yeah, we got yeah. that we got that part of the story yet to to talk about. But I, you know, I mean, I, how many times have you heard that one? Right? Oh, totally. You know, we're 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 you know we're both lost souls and we're you know grasping for you know some kind of level of normalcy and he helps me and I help him and we're good for each other. Let's get married. You yeah, know, absolutely. And then you hear the loud the flushing sound is yep. the is the ceremony yeah you know. I, I postponed that part okay good until yeah, i got toward you know the end of the 10 years why did you know better no i i, I probably nobody asked me <laughs> <laughs> truthfully yeah. I, I think that right. i remember ending up in a therapist's yeah. office with, with you know when my first marriage was crumbling and she i remember she asked me well tell me she was trying to get back to sort of what was what was the core of you know why we were attracted to each other and she said well, why did you why did you marry Matt? That's my first husband's name, and I, I thought about it. And I said, probably the saddest statement I've ever said in my life, and I said, because he asked me. Yeah, well, that's how codependents that, get married, that's, isn't it? That's why I married. Right. Because he asked me. <laughs> yeah. So no one had asked sure. me up to that. Yeah, he likes me, funny. so I I don't really like him that much, but <laughs> was he, exactly. Yeah, he likes me, so let's get me. let's get hitched. And let's do it. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so no, I I mean I understand that. That's that's sad enough. <laughs> but that's how it works. So you did um so you did ten more years of Yeah. Whatever. Um and then somewhere in there um so what so you graduated from college? Yeah. And you know, so yeah, went on to grad school because I couldn't figure out what else to do, and I knew how to do school, so I went back to school. Okay, so if nothing else, academics works. Yes. Okay. 
And then so and then what then what happens? Uh well then after that was when I you know met my first husband. Um Did you meet him in school or No, yeah. after. Yeah. After school. Yeah. But literally it was nothing or you know, we just sort of found you know, found each other like you were saying. Yeah. Like a, a ran, kind of a, a, a mildly random yeah. event. Yeah. And he actually came from a fairly normal family, and, yeah. you know, he was a very nice man. Yeah. Um, but I, we pick each other on purpose, and I believe he picked me because I was emotionally unavailable. I think that was sort of the rule of our marriage. Like, we were probably, we were like brother and sister. I mean, we were good travel companions. We had a lot in common. We, But just no emotional connection, and I think that was, what we both were attracted to, sort of, at that <laughs> season of life. No. So, so yeah. say what what you said, like emotionally unavailable. What is what? How does what you experienced relate to becoming emotionally unavailable? Well, I I was too. I mean, one, I was too walled up because I I I had been hurt and whatever, and so all yeah. of that stuff was just walled up, and I I. The thing I desperately wanted, which was love and connection, I would not allow myself to have. One, I didn't know how to have it, but I wouldn't allow it. It was it was too too risky that it might hurt, and I didn't. So I. So that's the connection. You get hurt. Yeah. It, the, all the all the collective of hurt of all of that oh, is yeah. is then that becomes I'm not go, I'm not going to uh, allow I'm not going there. Yeah, and I and that wasn't a conscious thing, but no. you know that yeah deep inside it was. It's too risky to put myself out there. I think that's that. That uh, I mean, that's a that's a great description of the uh, the when you use the when you hear the term inner child. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, yeah. I don't the one work. the one behind the wall, <laughs> yeah. the one that you're talking about that yeah. won't come out. That's the that's the one that that's exactly right wants to be loved and all of that stuff. That's exactly and, right. You know, you th- when we throw the words around, I'm tr- I sometimes maybe between you and I, it sounds it's trite, but. There's other people listening, and so right. we can maybe some time go to definition a little yep. bit. And uh, yeah, that's I think what it is. Mm-hmm. So the inner child's hiding behind the wall, and yeah, you and you and Matt were hanging out. I don't know what we were doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Equally, yeah. he was just as happy to be behind his wall as you were be, to be behind yours. He absolutely was. Yeah. That's a pretty miserable way to live, though. I, I mean, it is. yeah. It is. But you, did you know at the time what you needed yet? No. 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 Actually, what happened was um, early on, I don't remember if we were actually married yet or whether we were still engaged, but I read an article in a magazine on adult children of alcoholics. Mm. And do, I, do you remember what magazine? I don't remember, but it was a it, it was a, like a women's magazine or something. It wasn't okay. a... I was at someone else's home. Okay. And... Um, I think it was you know like a Women's Day or something. You know, yeah. it wasn't wasn't a it wasn't a, a journal or anything. It was yeah. like a like common a, like magazine a publication. Yeah, and okay. and it was the first time I'd heard of that term. It's the first time I'd heard of of that at all. This was you know back in the eighties. Sure. And um, I started sobbing because mm-hmm. I was like, this is it. This is what makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Just talking about kids who grew up in alcoholic homes and now they were trying to do their life and it didn't work and all all the reasons why it didn't work and I thought this this is it. This is why, and right. I need to get this under control because here I got this nice guy in my life, and you know, I'm trying to do a, a you know, marriage and normalcy and whatever. I, mm-hmm. I got to get this under control. Sort of where had I had you been a crier before that? No, not at all. Mm-mm. 
I uh, hadn't, hadn't pictured you as a, I, as a I weaver. Know. I'm still not, really. You know, no. That. Well, that's just to say how much, how, yeah. how, how that yep, important well of it was. That, mm-hmm. be, that was a behind-the-wall, oopsie kind of In a way, it actually thing, freaked you know? me out, that level of emotion freaked right. me out. Right, yeah. I bet it did. It did. I bet it did. Yeah. So... Yeah. yeah, and the only reason I asked you about what magazine is because it made me think about you know the 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 was it the Life magazine article about Alcoholics Anonymous and uh-huh. the, that that just explo- exploded just everything. exploded everything. So I just thought yeah. if you remember the magazine, we give them a plug. I go. don't, I don't, but I remember right where I was when I read it, and wow. I remember being just sometimes know. seeing it seeing it written down, and you know I, I I've I've known that feeling where you how did they know that right what? right. And I'd never even heard of that or heard mm-hmm. that that was a... Right. At that time, I don't think it was... It later became a pretty... Right. Pretty huge movement. Right. But... So so what what did you do from there? Did so you... I, you know, started investigating this thing. I remember saying to Matt, this, this is it. This is what... You know, I mean, my own drinking was still... I was I was managing it at that point because um, he, you know, he was a nice guy and I knew I needed to... Keep my you had a beer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, but it would come out. You know. This is internet radio. You can say anything yeah, you want. Right. Well, go ahead. He, but it would, it would, it would come out. You know, I would right. inappropriate at a party or you know just right. totally and and put it under control and and he'd never confront me. Never confront me, of course, because right. Because so, that just because that just wasn't, wouldn't be. That's right. not the agreement. Right. So I could say I had the flu and he would say yes and that was it and he just never talked about it. Yeah. But when I saw this magazine article, I said, this is it. This is this. This is this is what's wrong with me, hmm. and and yeah. I found meetings in my area, and so I started attending ACOA meetings, hmm. and uh, and it was it, I mean I learned a lot. It was fascinating. It just opened up a world to me of being able to put a name, I guess, uh, around a lot of what I was feeling and hearing a lot did, of what was that like? Did you did you start to heal a little bit? Um. I started to heal a little bit because I had a little knowledge of what was broken, mm-hmm. but I didn't really, you know, I mean, so. Didn't really do the work I yet. didn't do the work. Yeah. 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 I didn't really. You, you started to know what work needed yeah, to be done. Uh, yeah, exactly. So it was more of an insight. And so there was some healing that came because now I had a name for what was wrong with me. Right. But that yeah. was about. Well, that's yeah. a, that's, that's a good start. It was a great start. And it's. Yeah. So you were going to you were going to some ACOA meetings and you and you kept going for a while or how did I it? did I went for a while a long while and uh, so funny thing happened um, at a meeting I tell people this story especially parents this story but uh, I was at one meeting and there was a gal who was my age which was unusual most people were older than me I was in my mid twenties then and okay most people were older than me. Yeah. Um, and she, I must have said something in the meeting that caused her to approach me. And she uh, let me know that she was going to another program, um, you know, to con- to deal with her own issues with drinking. Hmm. And I remember looking at her and thinking, well, you're you're too young. Like, like we're too young for that, <laughs> was my thought. You know? Right. But, um, Which probably is why you're so good with, with the kids today, <laughs> right? Because right? like you know exactly what they're thinking. I do, I do. We're and too young for this. We're too young yeah. for that. And it was my thought. And um, so she said, I, I was just curious about that whole thing. And I said, so why do you do? You know, why do you go to these meetings? And she said, well, you know, I, um, I mean, I started looking at my parents' problems with drinking, but 
I realized pretty quickly I really needed to look at my own. Mm. And I was like, oh, oh, well, well, good for you, you know, but but that's not my (laughs) problem. And you know when you say that to people who know, and they give you that look like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And and she gave me one of those, like, yeah, yeah, right. Mm. And, and, um, but the thing about that was, like, that conversation, I I met this gal probably twice. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we were long-term. That conversation was what? 25, 28 years ago, mm-hmm. I know exactly where we were when that conversation happened. I, we were at Central DuPage Hospital. I can tell you exactly where we were standing in the room. I can tell you what this gal looked like. Her name was Julie D. She was married to a guy named Tim. She was my age. You remember How the look do, on her face. Yeah. I remember the look on her face. How do I remember all those details? Because she planted a very powerful seed. Mm. And I tell that to particularly to parents. I'm like, you know, we often think like we have to get people to some level of insight. She didn't get me to any level of insight in that moment. I wasn't ready for it, but she planted a very powerful seed. And you know, like and she nothing, probably didn't even know she planted she it, right? Not, no, but you know, nothing. So thanks, lost Julie. Yeah. Yeah. If there's yeah. a Julie D out there, I'm, I'm <laughs> eternally grateful. Yeah. But you know, like nothing's lost in God's economy because it, it was that powerful that I can tell you everything about that. You know, I didn't act right. on that for many years, but. You know, she planted this seed, and then of course I never went back to that meeting again because, <laughs> no. like, somebody has my number, I'm not coming back. Yeah, to that. yeah, but the whole—I mean, I can—you know—those things that get you where you live that you don't, you know you don't mm-hmm. even know like that, and like the tears when you read the article, mm-hmm. the, the unexpected yep. stuff. Yeah, those are the those are the moments, aren't they? Yep. So you kept going in in, in uh, ACOA for a while. I went for in, for a while, and she planted that seed. Right. And, I, and some of a part of me already knew that I needed to do. I needed to you know put some tighter reins on my own drinking because right. you know. And when she poked that, it was like okay. Um, <laughs> and so I had had a few more you know instances of just really not being able to keep it under wraps. You know, and really inappropriate. And now I'm in my, you know, mid or to late 20s. It's not not cool anymore. I mean, you're not. Right. You know, people are having children. Yeah, people are, are being responsible of, yeah, now. And, you know, adventure. and right. you're at at a party with people who are married and have getting their life together. And, then, you know, and so I knew enough to know, like, this isn't working. And so um, one day we had a couple over and just to have them sharing a glass of red wine together and. Um, and I went into this horrible sneezing fit. Horrible. I mean, like 30 sneezes in a row. Mm-hmm. And the thought I had in my head was, maybe I'm allergic to this stuff. Without <laughs> even really knowing about the allergy, I said. Right. And there I made the decision, I'm, that's it, I'm done. I'm quitting. I'm done. I'm never having a drink again. And that was April 2nd, 1989. I never had a drink since. <laughs> Problem solved, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no. No. Yeah, yeah, we know better, but... That sounded really easy. We know better, but yeah. But I did. I literally just... And I don't recall if it was hard or not. I don't recall that. You know, I don't recall. But So for our listeners out there, if you start to sneeze when you drink... That's it. That's That's it. Stop right now. That's when they say you may have a problem. That's it. That's it. It's not on on those 20 questions, I don't think. No. You can just just end. Just knock it off from there. And then it was probably three or four months after that, I had my first in a series of extramarital affairs. Mm. Mm. And I hadn't even been married a year. Mm. So here I was quitting drinking because I was trying to like do this marriage thing right. And, and I had completely, like, this had nothing to do with my husband. Mm-hmm. If he knew 
it would have killed me that that he somehow felt like this was, that it was about, his fault. about him or that you, he wasn't And you enough. knew that it wasn't? I, I mean, No, it, it's, 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 it's how, this is how bizarre the thinking is. I mean, it was sort of yeah. like, this is my own deal. You know, like, he likes to fish and I don't, so, like, this is what I like to yeah, do. Yeah, I like to have I affairs. Mean, <laughs> I, I don't see anything wrong with that. It was on that level for me. Right. Like, it didn't have anything to do with him. This is just my own little thing that I needed to do. And we hear the, you know, you know, we hear the phrase, you know, the ism. Yeah. You know. Right. It and, was totally the ism. And people don't. Sometimes I think people have trouble conceiving of the you can that you can knock off the drinking, but whatever but the whatever that the goofiness that it's going to come out. It's yeah, going to come out. Can you talk a little bit more to that? Because I think that, that that can be a common thread for a lot of people. I mean, you know, I, I hear that quite often, but, you know, how does that how does that relate? I mean, it's just other behaviors that, that would be in a similar a similar vein or? I mean, it, it was for me. I mean, I think, you know, my whole experience had been trying to control this thing, right? And so the way of, con- I mean, it was, it's, it's all of feelings and stuff that I had inside that I wasn't dealing with. And, you know, alcohol numbed those feelings. And then I just decided I wasn't going to do alcohol anymore, but they had to go somewhere. You still had the feelings. I still had the feelings. And so I still had to. Because you said, I think I had, I hadn't yet done the work. I hadn't done anything. I had knowledge, right. but I hadn't done any work. So knowledge isn't enough to, no. that doesn't solve the problem. Not for me. Quitting drinking didn't solve the problem uh-huh. because it come up. It came up in other ways. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what we're going to do is we do a we, we'll, we'll, we do kind of a halftime thing. We're going to do some music. Yeah, we sometimes we do a show. We have a marching band come through. Yeah. Oh, is that next week? Yeah. That's next week. Yeah, the kazoo <laughs> band perhaps. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, we're going to do about, what What do we got? What, what, what's this? we got about, we got about four minutes. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So we're going to take a little break. Um, we're going to listen to a song by Athena Perez called Turning Page. And then we will be uh, back with you in just a few minutes. I hope you enjoy the music. And I hope you're enjoying the show. And we will see you in just a moment. I've been 
Hello? You guys forgot to turn your microphone on. There's dead air going on. So on the air, there you go. We can hear you. So go yeah, ahead with your. I'm li- We're we can hear you. So if you have a question, go ahead. All right, it's on. I don't have a question. Just letting you know. All right, we got a little, little technical help there. I appreciate it. Okay, good. Thanks. Thank you. Yep. Okay, we're going to go ahead. All right, um, so um, we got to the point where, um, you know, you were getting your own, uh, beginning to get your own act together here, and I, I definitely want to get to, I definitely want to get to the parenting aspect because, you know, but give us the short form of how you got sober. Yeah, well, so, you know, at, at that point, like, my life sort of crashed and burned, and, um and I knew that, like, I, I really needed to get my act together. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, called a therapist, and I, I, I sought saw a therapist, and I said, you know, I really need either somebody who is recovering or knows, uh, you know, family recovery stuff. And that's how I got kind of started. And um, I really, I liked this gal. I wanted to do work with her. I knew my life wasn't working. And she said... Uh, it's great. Let's do some work together. But um, I have one rule, and that's that uh, I won't work with uh, anybody who's not working a 12-step program. Hmm. And I was like, well, okay, yeah, you know, I've gone to ACOA. And she goes, no, no, that's not what I mean. <laughs> oh, that's not the one she <laughs> yeah. meant. So she said, no, I, you know, I need you need to be going to Alcoholics Anonymous if you want to work with me. Mm-hmm. And I said, I couldn't get that. I was like, well, why? I've been sober two years. Why? Why would I need to do that? Like... She was like, okay, you got this, 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 and like, what about unmanageable do you not get, you mm. know? And so so that was the thing. I really wanted to work with this lady. I knew my life was out of control. I knew she could help, and she held this line that the only way I could get that help is if I went uh, and started so you working had, you hadn't actually been drinking for a couple of years right. after the sneezing incident. Right, that's what I said. You I stopped drinking. And then, but, but the it, chaos. The, the unmanageability then. It, it was crazier in those two years of what we call dry drunk than than anything I had done when I was drinking. Right. Was crazier. I had, I had completely I had completely created a double life. And okay. so so it so that's kind of how I got. And you went to her to because of your unmanageable life. Right. Not yeah. your drinking. Right. But she knew enough to know that, that it, it was, was one and the same. Yep. Okay. So, so smart lady, make sure that I get her name after the show. I will. Because <laughs> she's one of the few, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, because I, I yeah. think a lot of people don't get that. Yeah. No, she she had studied with Claudia Black. I mean, she was... She, yeah, yeah, she knew the drill. She went to the same school you and I did. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple over there. Um, so then you ended up doing, you did what she said. I did what she said. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I struggled though in, um, in early recovery in the program because I was coming in from a whole different lens. Right. So I struggled with, yeah, and that's because, when I said my, my experience yeah. isn't textbook. I struggled with how to describe it. I was a newcomer, but I wasn't white knuckling it through my first couple of days and, mm-hmm. I just I struggled with that, and I think other people struggled with me, sort of what to do with me, and um, 
And that was that was a lot of years ago. Yeah, a lot of years ago. And I think I don't think people. I, I'm not sure, but I, my sense is that people don't struggle with probably that as much at, today so. as they did then. Yeah, because then it, it was not pu- public. I mean, I know you never would share no. that. You know. No, you no, you, okay. didn't, you didn't come in shaky and shaky and fresh out of detox. Was yeah. that the was that the the problem that was you were just coming from a, a different different background than a lot of people that were there and just yeah. quite speaking the same language. Yeah, and I mean I had trouble still understanding why I needed to be there. Mm-hmm. Um and because I had trouble with why I needed to be there, I think they had trouble with why so it was it was just a um it was a different experience, I guess. It was sure. just it was just different. Uh and so the whole sponsor thing was a little weird for me because sponsorship is usually trying to help people through those first couple of, you know, months and and I couldn't figure it out, and, she, and, and my therapist was great because she was like, I'm not your sponsor. You need to get a sponsor. And she held that line for a long time, and, and I was like, it's just not working. Her name was Linda. I'm like, Linda, it's just not working for me. And so she relented after a while, and she was actually the person who took me through the steps for the first time because I said, look, it's 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 just it's through a much wider lens, and she knew that, and so she, she held the line for a long time, but then... We did what worked, and so again, yeah. that's why it feels a little weird to me. My my early experiences in the program, and right. sort of that's what I mean when I say not textbook. It just didn't right. sort of line up, and yeah. So you, but you did finally get get going, and I finally did. finally put together some the beginnings of some recovery. Now, Absolutely. is that would you say that that's like what you would consider doing the work? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. right. I, I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, because the way that the, the that twelve step group really comes at the twelve steps is much more um, action based. Yeah. Than like ACOA was a lot more insight to me. Yeah. Than, Read the books and yeah. do the do the talk deal. a lot about what it was instead of like do it. <laughs> so had you, and and had you ended up getting a divorce or how did that? Yeah. 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 yeah it just that just went away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean we you know we tried, but at the end of the day, you know. No. Yeah, it was. We were trying for what? I mean, you know, when I said I married him because he asked me, I mean, what, yeah. what are you trying we to We need be? a little bit more. Yeah. We need what a little bit more than that. And we didn't have kids or anything. So. Yeah. So when so when did kids come into the picture for you then? Um, well, so then I met um, my current husband, and we are the poster children for why two people early in recovery should not, <laughs> should not hook up early in recovery when you have not very strong programs. Um and so we threw more change in the first couple of years of our marriage than two people ever should. So then we were talking about where where yeah. you ended up, your jobs took you to Hong Kong. Yeah. And- yeah. So we had two divorces, a remarriage, you know, a kid, a major move. I mean, all, all the things on the stress chart, we had thrown them all into like a nine-month period, you know. <laughs> right. Somehow we stayed sober through that. I don't know how, but we did. And, you know, so. Yeah. And, and kids came along. Kids came along, and and we we both you know uh, kept working. You know, I, I was committed, and and I think because I I had vowed to do family and marriage differently. Um, mm-hmm. That was also something I needed to come to terms with later in life. That my vow to do it my you know differently, but I was really committed to recovery in all aspects because I didn't want to mess up. You know, I I know what it was like to grow up in a home that was chaotic and I I wanted better for my own kids. Yeah, and we we talked a li- we talked a little bit about that earlier that s- I think some people think that it's enough 
to have had the experience and so to say I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna do it that way but not do their own personal work. So then it's just so it's a good theory but it never seems to work out right, that way. Right. They have no tools. So how would I do it any different if I didn't learn how to do it any different? Right. Well I guess somebody might say if I just if I went through um like uh a terrible you know, some terrible events in my childhood and, you know, my my parents were this or that or the other thing. And I just made up my mind that I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna be, say, violent. Right. What why would I why would I be likely to be violent? Even if I made up my mind not to be? Right. I mean, that's the thing. I think most people think, yeah, I could just make up my mind not to be and yeah. I won't. Right. It's not logical. It doesn't. Oh, it's it doesn't not. Work that way. It doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't for me anyway. It didn't for me. No, I don't. I don't really think it works that way either. But I think a lot of people think that's enough. I think so. You know. So, so maybe. Well, why then doing when you say doing the work, like working the steps and doing, getting yourself sober and th- those kinds of things. Why and then is that enough? Um. It it wasn't really. I mean, it was a it was a foundation. I it was guess. the beginning. It was the beginning of what you of, need to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it okay. was the beginning. I get that. You know, but All right. life happens on life's terms, and right, you know, it's still happening. <laughs> right, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I still I would still say that there were some things that, my, you know, my dad did that I didn't want to repeat. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Right. <laughs> you know. Right. You know that that so. So then when you, so let's jump forward a little mm-hmm. bit to, to kids. Yeah. You had, I know you've, you've got two. Mm-hmm. And um, I know you said you had one you took to Hong Kong with you and the other one you had when you were there. Yep. Okay. And then I bet you said, this is never, I'm never going to, my kids are never going to have this kind of problem because I'm going to. Did you did you say that? I or? didn't say that. No. No, I didn't say that. Were you I mean, concerned I, as a mom that they might? Oh yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I guess I I knew enough about the disease and I knew enough about the family history on both sides that it, it was always a possibility. Yeah. You know, my husband had three grown daughters from his first marriage when we met, and and all three of them, you know, can have a glass of wine with dinner, and the gene never showed up. But we always sort of knew there was a chance. With with our chemistry, that that one of our kids could, and mm-hmm. so I don't I, I don't think I ever I, I, had I not done as much therapy and recovery as I had, I might have felt that way. But I I, I said you know some people say you know why why me I, I said why why not me I mean why <laughs> I so think I, when two parents are, are when you got both both parents are alcoholic you you've got a an eighty percent. It's a pretty high chance. Yeah, so, somewhere you know, around eighty percent. So we we really went into it thinking, you know, we're going to do the best we can, but we have no idea. And I I do remember when the kids were little, we had a, a a couple that we knew, and they had teenage boys, and you know, the family was pretty out of control. And I remember my husband making a comment, um, you know, like, well, there was just a little bit more discipline in that house, and and he was right. I mean, the parents were a little could have used a little help in that area, but I remember saying to him, you know. Be careful what you say because we have no idea what our path is going to be. You know, right. I, I think I, I think on some level in my gut I would was not, you know, going to be surprised if if we went down this. Path. And somebody, yeah, and somebody could look in and say, well, there should have been a little bit more blah oh, yeah. blah blah in that family oh, sure. or whatever. Absolutely. And there was a, every everything that you could provide was was already there. Yeah. So and and I you know it's it's 
you know, I have an unfair advantage because I know you and I know the story a little bit. Right, right. <laughs> but, but I know that you, it, it came, it, even knowing everything you knew, it still came out of the, out yeah, of left came, field for it you. It came out of left field. Yeah. So how, t- talk about that a little bit. Well, we caught, we caught our son, John, you know, the second time he had smoked pot. So like we were on, you were on you know, top of it, on yeah. top of it, right? And this was right bef- at the beginning of eighth grade, and so we probably caught him on maybe two, two more times during his eighth grade year. So we weren't so we we knew that he would experiment. Um, I always said, you know, experimentation is one thing; uh, a, a lifestyle choice to drink and drug is another. You know, I, I kind of figured my kids were going to experiment, so we weren't too freaked out by that. But what I didn't know, and I didn't know until we got him into treatment, that is how quickly the disease can um, manifest itself in a growing teenage brain. And that, that what we learned was that the level of addiction that can take an adult several years to build can be built in a kid in as short as three to six months. I mean, right. and I didn't know that. So I think what what was so, um, what, what caught us off guard was how quickly and and the level of drug usage that he was into that I just didn't know ex- how does a kid get that those kinds of hard drugs when they're 13 or 14 years old I mean the the prevalence of it and and how how quickly and how deeply um I bet and I I I'm sure that scares the the the, the britches off a lot of parents to hear that yeah that, about the how quick you know quickly it can happen you know but yeah. So, but that's just something that people yeah, need to know, and that, will, that they can get the that they can get you know the hard drugs at, at that age. They sure. can. They can. And I mean, it's sort of what it, what it said to us is that you know, by the time you figure out what's going on, you very well could have a kid who's already addicted, and that was really the deal with John. I mean, by the, it's not that we didn't know anything, but we were just trying to figure out what is this just teenage bad behavior? You know, what is this? And so we were just sort of, we thought we had the benefit of time to sort of figure some of this out. And by the time we figured out what was going on, he was already, he was already, you know, definitely into problem use and crossing over into addiction. And, and doing, th- doing things that were physically dangerous. Very much so. Yeah. And, and we just, we sort of scratched our head, like, how does that happen, you know, when you're home at dinner every night at six o'clock with us? How, how is that happening? And what we came to understand was that he had created this really this double life. And so based on my experience of creating a double life and I know how that works, that scared the heck out of me. I sure. thought I know exactly so where this, this kid's going. This bright, creative, good student. Absolutely. We didn't ha- that was part of it. We didn't have and any of the chaos. He wasn't like a defiant kid or no a disobedient kid. No running away. All this all the behavioral stuff, the running away, all that we we had Wasn't none stealing of that. the silverware. None of that. He was, you know, I mean, you know, he was into growing his hair long and the, you know, the pants hanging, hanging down kind of thing. But he was like, you know, what kid at 14 skater style isn't doing that? So that there wasn't anything that was sort of off the radar in a way that would say. So how long was it between the time that you, the eighth grade and when, when he was in treatment the first time? It was uh, a year. I mean, a year. Yeah. We, we, and did you ever find out from him whether or not that at the time he was just smoking pot here and there that he really was just smoking pot he here was. and there? Yeah, he was. So we went from smoking pot here and there to yeah, the summer of eight, between eighth grade and freshman year was the summer hard of drugs and, and yeah, and, and, and then 
dangerous then, behavior. Yeah, then we year. sort of had to escalate throughout freshman year with him. Right. Um, and, and so then we had, then we put him into treatment the summer of before his sophomore year. You think people thought you were bad parents? Um, I'm sure that they did. <laughs> um, I really had to keep my relational world really small because I tenderhearted when it comes to that stuff, and I. I don't know what people thought or said because I didn't give them an opportunity. I mean, I you get this yourself in our circle of you know, we're, we're we're pretty well respected folks. I think people you know yeah. think highly of us. Um, but I just know I hear what pe- what parents say. People, the parents, particularly the ones that don't know I'm in recovery, you know, sure. I hear what they really say, not sure. what they would say if they thought I was one of them. <laughs> and and so I know that. That parents are so scared, I think that they're that they're uh, the world that their kids are in, and they there's a false sense of security that if I just parent well, everything will go well. Mm-hmm. And so if things aren't going well for you, you must not be parenting well because right. I have the ability to do that. And you know, I may have probably thought that too, a little bit growing, you know, when they were growing up, and it's easier when to control their world when they're six than when they're sixteen. What would your answer be to them at this point if they if you knew that they were thinking that? I mean, what would you tell them if you could? Um, you know, I. It's hard to tell people if they're committed to that. It's really hard to tell people anything. But um, I, I just, uh, you know, the disease model of addiction is not. We've we've popularized addiction with all these shows out there, but the disease model is not as popular as people think. I think people still think it's a character issue. And you know, we 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 used our forum with the people that we were um, that that were around our family we used our forum to help educate that this is a this is a disease this is like if your kid has diabetes this is like if your kid has asthma you know and and so and the advantage that you have is that you knew because you had the disease yourself you you could frame it that way i think some parents would have a a, a more difficult time with that because they don't have the advantage right the other thing i want to make sure that we we talk about because i know that part of your recovery has been in a, in, to a large degree your spiritual life, mm-hmm. and and uh, and and also then that how that ties in with how you survived right. having a, an addicted kid. Right. Can you say a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think for me, you know, like I said, when I I had sort of said given up on the whole idea that there was anything bigger than me. If there was, it wasn't powerful enough but as i continued in my own life i i, I realized um and it, early in recovery you know I, I took the advice of just sort of create a god in your own image if it works mm-hmm. for you but but even for me even that was suspect yeah. you know, like because right. if there's really? a, yeah. yeah if there's a god i can completely understand that i've re- made in my own image like uh, you know. Yeah, it comes out of my head. I'm, right, I'm right. So, we're shaky already, yeah. So, so that worked for me early yeah. on to not get in my way, but, but it was pretty suspect when I had things in my life that I then valued and now I'm afraid of losing. Yeah. And so all the fear of as a kid and everything, I'm still, I was still so fear-based. And I really had to um, struggle at some point to say, you know, I'm, I'm, the key to my serenity and my sobriety is to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. But what, who am I turning this over to? You know, like I don't turn over anything of value to people I don't know or trust or know whether or not they're trustworthy. So, so you had to figure that out. I had to figure that out. So um, I, I had already begun that work prior to, you know, like when my kids were little and it was really put to the test with, with 
John, um, in that this was the thing of most value in my life was my right. children. Right? And all and all of all of that inta- that 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 grief and loss stuff from yeah way back when would would bring with it right. And that's there was a, that's a loaded issue. It was, and there was a moment when he was young, you know, a baby. I remember, and I had that feeling. I mean, I remember my mom at my brother's funeral. I remember watching her, you know, kind of cradle him in the casket, mm. and I had this moment of like, John was probably eighteen months old, and I thought, you know, so fearful that I'm going to lose him, and I sort of did this whole night with him, and and wrestled with God over that, and just said, you know, I know he's yours. I know I'm a steward of him. I know you can take him home any day. He is your child. You love him more than than I ever could. I'm just asking you for the gift of time. Mm-hmm. I'm asking for the gift of time. And so I it felt like I had to sort of live in that now when he was 15. Right. And that that really I had to trust that, you know. The key being you had to live. Now you really have to, to do live. that because now we live. got a kid who's doing some things that could. Right. Hypothetically, cost him his life, he just cost like that. Him his life, and I had to trust the care of his life. Right. And you know. I don't think you can teach that. You, you know. <laughs> I don't think you can teach that. And I don't even know if you can. I think you can tell people. Right. Your story. You can. Which you, which you've, you've done a great job of, of, of doing. But um, unless you have to be there, I guess. It, it, is. To be there. it is. It is. The other thing, you know, that I want to mention, and I, I want to make sure, because I know you have another kid. Yes. Who's not addicted. Exactly. So can we just spend a minute talking a little bit about how that works now in your family and how you deal with that? Yeah, we're still working through that. I mean, she was, you know, so you said the similarities, right? Yes. Yeah. My son, you know, having to deal with grief and loss, or me having to deal with grief and loss at that age, and, yeah. and my daughter was 11 at the point when she understood what was happening with John and she was very innocent. And you were 11 when you dealt with the situation and with your brother. So yeah. the the trust issues and she self-selected, you know, she had big things going on in her life that I'm just finding out about now, mm-hmm. like literally in the last few weeks that were happening for her, middle school teasing and stuff that she chose to hold inside because she thought, well, there's big things going on in the family and so they don't have time for my things. Yeah. And, and and not that we were sending her that energy. She thought she was giving us a gift by sort of dealing with it. Backing up and let, giving you the space to deal yeah, with Yeah, and so it's it's been a journey with her to, um, you know, not only for to regain our trust, but also with her and John. I mean, I think that's that was a very special relationship. Brother, they, yeah. they were best friends, and that was damaged, and they're still trying to figure that out. And it's I a think hard there's thing. a lot. I mean. I'll, Obviously, we don't. You know, we're going to need to wrap it up for tonight. But I think there's so much to be said about that, about the kids that are living in families that aren't addicted, that right, but are living in a system that is struggling with that, and all the feelings that go along with that. And I'm sure parents, that's something that parents struggle with, with with those the other kid. The other kid, yeah. I hear it all the time. Yeah. So um, I guess what we'll do is. if the way we, I usually try and close, and I pretty much do it every week, is just to ask you if there's any single or simple thing that you could pass along from your experience to parents who are struggling with what you struggled with with an addicted kid. Is there anything that you would tell them? Well, two things. I would just say one, you know, find your, you know, find yourself a group of, of other parents who are working with this. And you know, figure out how to separate from what's going on with your kid. 
so mm-hmm. that you can figure out how to how to be okay regardless of what's what's going on with your kid. And the key to that for me was sort of really finding out what your spiritual center is, who is your God, and is your God trustworthy? Because once that question is answered, then you can entrust your kid's path to that, and you can be okay. I think the big thing is we're afraid we're not going to be okay if if the worst thing happens, and you have to figure you out, found how, out how to be okay. How, you, how you're going to be okay? Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. I think it's a really good good message for for parents or anybody to hear, friends, family. Yeah. Yep. We appreciate uh, we appreciate everything you've you've shared with us tonight, and uh, thank you for coming on. It's great, and, great to uh, be here. Much. Yeah. It's yeah. excellent. You're gonna you're gonna click on the music. I'll, I'll click on whatever you want. But you know what? I have a, a couple of quick quick things. Um, I thought something that you said was really really great. If I if I could you know mm-hmm. if I was gonna put another title to the show, life happens on life's terms. I thought that was really poignant for uh, for your story tonight. But um, thank you to our caller who called in. I, I don't think you could quite understand what he was saying. He said, "Hey, your mic's not on after your break." So he was calling, giving oh, us technical, giving us advice. technical yeah. advice. So thank you very much for calling in. We're still working with the Elisa's Multimix 8 USB interface that I just purchased from Guitar Center last week. And it's got a lot of knobs, so I thank you very much for being patient. Um, and also, I don't know. I I, I think our promos might not have uh, might not have been promoted. So. Uh, sorry about that, but we'll get to you next week. Anyway, I just wanted to make sure I said oh, we don't hello to, our, to my friend that couldn't make it tonight, and I hope she feels better because she wouldn't have heard oh. that when I said it because our mic wasn't on. Okay, so so there there you go. All right, so there do you, you go, friend. Do you want to have your you, I'll have your outro, and then we'll play our song on the way up. All right, very good. Um, so, and again, thanks thanks for being here tonight, Kathleen. We really appreciate it. And uh, uh, oh, and. Also, you mentioned get with a group of parents that that you know understand and, and help. And uh, if you want to get with a group of parents and you're local, get a hold of us because we can help yep. you with that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, because we, we we have such a thing and we understand. And uh, thanks to our listeners and our studio audience uh, for making us uh, a successful little underground support source for the recovering community. We'll email our reminders for next week's show. Uh, usually they go out on Friday or Saturday, and as always, we try to look at recovery from a wide and open perspective. Remember to check recoveryinternetradio.com for all the archive shows and to sign up for our email reminder list if you want to be on it. You know, he does a really great job with that reminder list. There's a fancy picture. It looks good yeah, on your you iPhone. Get, yeah, you get a picture. Yeah, it's, 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 you get it's a the, treat. You get the funny titles. You get, <laughs> you get it all. Um, and you get it every week. Once you're on the once you're on the email list, you'll get it every week. Only because I don't know how to take you off. Absolutely. You can opt out, but we don't know how to take you off the list. So, right. Uh, so um, we also want to hear from you, so we know where you are, um, and uh, because you can listen from anywhere, because it's an internet radio show. We've mentioned that. And as always, live today, love yourself and your neighbor, and together we'll enjoy the road to destiny. Enjoy the show. See you next Sunday at eight o'clock. Football weekend. Super Good night, everybody. Every day.